My topic tonight, as you may have heard, signs of the kingdom. As I thought about this, preparing for you tonight, I realized that so much of what is said, and I'm going to say, is Miracles 101. In other words, it's introductory. And I'm not going to get complicated tonight um, because there may be many people who are not familiar with how much we rely on miracles and the supernatural in this church. I know in recent days we emphasize with the good agency of our friend and doctor, R.T. Kendall, who, by the way, is preparing to spend time with us next year as, as well, pointing us in the direction of the Word and the Spirit. And I believe that one of the things that Pentecostals and Charismatics need to do more than anything else is to say, let us be as committed to the Word of God as we are to the manifestation of the Holy Spirit. Still true today, you can go to places where it's all Word and no Spirit, or all Spirit and no Word, and, and, and we want to break that mold, we want to break that, because Jesus was a man of the Word. In fact, He was the Word. But he was also a man of the Spirit. He received the Spirit without measure. He was not anointed to make him Christ. He was anointed because he was the Christ. He was a man mighty in word and deed. And every person in the early church that figured in the early spread of Christianity, we read about in the book of Acts, Peter, Paul, and all of them were men of the Word, but also were men of the Spirit. So let's have a look. I'm going to turn you to John's Gospel, chapter 14. I'm going to, thank you, I'm going to read from, from verse 4, sorry, from verse 5, but uh, the first four verses you can scan uh, as, as, we, as we prepare for it. And, and the lead-in to this verse, verse 5, where Thomas is speaking, Jesus has told them, warned them that he's going away, there is a purpose for this, he's not going to be around in the same way as he was, but he's not going to leave them without comfort. In fact, he's going to send another comforter, one very much like unto him, who will be the manifest presence of God in the midst. And he says, you know the way and where I'm going. So Thomas, verse 5, says, Lord, we do not know where you are going. How can we know the way? Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. Um, then, verse 7, he says, If you had known me, you would have known my Father also. Very interesting. If you had known me, you would have known my Father also. How important it is to know that the way to God is through Jesus. Verse 6, From now on, you do know him and have seen him. Philip said to him, Lord, show us the Father, and it is enough for us. Jesus said to him, Have I been so long, with you so long, and you still do not know me, Philip? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Do you not believe that I am in the Father, and the Father is in me? The words that I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does his works. Believe me that I am in the Father and the Father is in me, or else believe on account of the works themselves. 
truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do. And greater works than these will he do because I'm going to the Father. Whatever you ask in my name, this I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask anything in my name, I will do it. A remarkable passage. And we need to see this in the, in the context of Jesus' whole ministry about the kingdom of God. Jesus came to reveal the Father whom no one has ever seen nor can see, but yet in Jesus, the Father becomes visible, especially through the manifestation of God's power and character through his life. And in the same way, Jesus says the kingdom has come. He announced it from the very beginning. And everything else that Jesus said, having said the kingdom has come, the kingdom is at hand, repent and believe the good news. Everything that follows that is an explanation, an expansion, an illustration of the kingdom of God. But on one occasion, in a very famous occasion, Jesus said, the kingdom of God does not come with outward observation. In other words, you can't actually look at this world in any way, shape or form and say there is the kingdom. God's kingdom comes from above and it's a spiritual kingdom. It does have manifestations and it becomes visible, has a visible face, but the kingdom itself is invisible, an invisible kingdom. The kingdom is God's rule and God's reign made manifest in our hearts and the kingdom has great effects and all that we see of the kingdom are the effects of the kingdom, but the kingdom is invisible. Jesus said, you won't see it, it doesn't come that way in that kind of a way. It is a spiritual kingdom, and the kingdom of God is amongst you. That's the correct translation of that verse. The kingdom of God is amongst you, meaning I am the king, and I'm here, and where I am is the kingdom. Now for us today, we can say the kingdom is within us, because the spirit of the kingdom dwells within us. Jesus is not with us physically, but is with us spiritually. And uh, so the kingdom has come, and, uh, but it's neither immediately nor fully manifest. It will come a time when the kingdom will be manifest and the invisible will become visible. And so feel for the disciples. Philip, well, just show us. Show us the Father. And that's enough for us. That'll do. And Jesus says, whoever has seen me has seen the Father. Meaning, God has manifested himself, made himself visible made himself accessible through Jesus Christ. That's why the way to God is through Jesus. You can't go by another route. Now, one of the ways in which the kingdom has come and we get to experience it is through signs and wonders. Signs and wonders that Jesus did. The Gospels are full of signs and wonders that Jesus did. The miracles of Jesus, they're everywhere. And we know that there isn't enough room in the Gospels to record everything that Jesus did. But the stuff that is recorded there gives us the clear indication that Jesus went everywhere doing good and healing all those who were oppressed of the devil. He was anointed to perform mighty signs and wonders. And yet, Jesus went on to say, listen, don't, don't, don't think that I'm doing this of my own accord. 
Don't think I'm doing this of my own authority. He was in surrender to the Father's will because he was representing the Father and demonstrating the Father. The whole minister of the Son is to say, look at the Father. So he is manifesting the Father and he says, as we read, the Father is doing these works. Believe me, believe that I'm in the Father and the Father is in me or believe on account of the works themselves. I think that's amazing. How wonderful that God would manifest himself in a way that would help us believe. Now one of the things we have to grasp about signs and wonders is that they are never given to replace faith. There's one preaching tour where Jesus went on a magnificent preaching tour of Galilee, preached in all the major cities, did amazing signs and wonders, tremendous miracles, and yet the cities did not repent. And Jesus said, listen, God has hidden these things from the wise and the prudent, but he's revealed them unto babes. So a miracle is given to help us point to the reality of the kingdom, but it is never given to replace faith. In other words, we still have to believe. So that will tell you a little bit about signs and wonders. Signs and wonders are not, the, are not the complete thing. They are pointing to something beyond themselves. That's what a sign does. Points beyond itself to the reality that it's indicating. Now what is exciting about this passage is Jesus is speaking of, a, of an era when he is no longer physically present and by now the disciples are getting troubled about this and they're thinking, what's happening here? He's going away, what are you talking about? And he says, it's to your advantage that I go away because if I do not go away, then the Spirit will not come. But there is something far more glorious, far more wonderful than even you can experience. And that is the era of the presence of Jesus inhabiting his body, the church, by the Holy Spirit. Now this releases an enormous amount of potential and, and Jesus very quickly puts his finger on something which is so extraordinary and so mind-boggling that even as I read it tonight I have to struggle with the unbelief in my own heart and spirit because Jesus says, he that believes in me will also do these same works and even greater works than these will he do because he goes to the Father. Reminds me of what he says in that part of John's Gospel, the version of Mark's Gospel rather. These signs shall follow those who believe. These signs, it doesn't say shall follow those who are eminently spiritual, those who are ordained under the Elim ordination, or those who are given some other title. No, these signs shall follow those that believe. How many believers do we have in the house tonight? Okay, okay, right. So he's talking about you. He's talking about me. No wonder he can say even greater works than these. Don't get confused about greater being in terms of quality. I doubt if disciples are going to out-miracle Jesus. So it's not greater in terms of quality, but greater in terms of quantity. Now immediately, the unbelief comes in. He says, well, well where is it? You know, I don't see it. Well, just think, just think for a moment. From the ascension of Jesus, the coming of the Holy Spirit, all the miracles that have been done by Jesus through his body, the church, and the power of the Holy Spirit, beginning with the Acts of the Apostles, 
right their way through to the present day, all over the world. Those miracles already vastly outnumber what happened in Jesus' time. And so already the scripture is fulfilled. The era of the greater works is here. But you know, the importance of this, the importance of this is a challenge to us. Because we're speaking a great deal about the kingdom, the kingdom of God, and we know the kingdom of God is, is the word of God's power, the gospel of the kingdoms, the gospel of salvation, and, and the kingdom of God is, is revealed and explained in scriptures. And, and I, we have to get back to that. We have to make sure that as Bible believers in the 21st century, we are men and women who are skilled in the word of God and are able to wield the word of God in every situation. Without the word of God, we really aren't going to get very far. But at the same time, we have to nail it to the mast, nail our colors to the mast. We believe in a supernatural God, and we believe in miracles today, and we believe these signs shall follow those that believe. Now, the whole question of miracle is a tricky one. And there have been lots of people, philosophers, and, and uh, even Christian theologians who who tie us in knots over the whole question of miracle. And here's a recent argument that I was reading and pondering over. Okay, let's have a look and see, just have a look how, how it goes. First of all, everybody acknowledges that, that our world operates according to natural laws. Yes, we do that, science can study it, and we have to often refine our understanding of natural laws, Newton's law of gravitation was somehow rejigged by Einstein and, and all, all kinds of stuff. But essentially, the world is governed by natural laws. Now, we know that God is behind those natural laws. And they operate, nevertheless. They operate. And how do we come to understand that? Let's take a very simple, simplistic thing. So we know that the sun rises in the east, yes, and sets in the west. And we've never known a day when the sun rises in the west and sets in the east. It can feel like that. Well, how would we know half the time in Great Britain don't even see the sun? But anyway, we take it on faith and good authority. We know what it's all about. It's nothing to do with the sun moving as such. We know it's the earth revolving on its axis and so on. But this, as much as we can ever possibly know, forever and a day, the sun has always risen there and always set over there. We don't expect it tomorrow to jump in the opposite direction. So therefore, natural law and scientific law is based on observation. It's based on consistent observation. Now, it's not absolutely certain. Because, just because the sun always rise, has risen in the east and always sets in the west, it doesn't mean to say it's always going to be that way. But we can say, in all probability, and highly, 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 extremely, extremely likely, so extremely likely that you can, you can put everything on it and depend on the sun rising tomorrow in the east. Now, a miracle would be perhaps that the sun would rise in the opposite direction. And that is so, 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 so highly improbable that just as sure as we are that the sun will rise in the east tomorrow, we can also be as sure that the sun will not rise in the west. Therefore, here's the big jump. Miracles 
are extremely, extremely, extremely unlikely. They, you can be almost 100% certain that they will never, ever happen. Are you convinced? Of course not. Because they're forgetting something. They're forgetting that God is in control of this world. And sure enough, I don't know how it's going to happen. The Bible indicates it's going to happen. Sure enough, this thing that's going on that we call this creation is going to be changed. And something is going to happen that has never happened before. And this very present creation is going to be recreated and it's going to be entirely different. It's going to be so amazingly recreated that it will be the home of God's righteousness and his glory will be fully manifested. Now, uh, I remember a debate which I watched on YouTube and this was um, um, a debate between John Lennox and Richard Dawkins in Oxford University. John Lennox is a Bible-believing Christian. He is one of Britain's foremost Christian apologists. He is a very, 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 very clever man. No, far more clever than that. Very, very clever man. He's actually spoken for us. We could get him here some time. Amazing, amazing. And Richard Dawkins, of course, you know, the arch new atheist and so on, also very, very clever. And at one particular point, Richard Dawkins was wanting to somehow ridicule the faith of John Lennox. Don't forget ridicule, even in debate. It's not honest debate, it's just a, it's a, it's a, it's a party trick, really. Oh, this man, pointing to John Lennox, do you realize he, he believed actually that Jesus walked on the water? How ridiculous! John Lennox just stood by, waited his time, smiling as he does, with this radiant smile. When it came to his time to reply, he said, well, Richard, I'm paraphrasing now, it's not such a big problem for Jesus to walk on the water. He made the water, why can't he walk on it? (laughs) Again, a pretty simple, simplistic answer. But the truth is, we live in a universe that is not closed. It's controlled by God. The very breath we breathe, though you can look at all the reflexes that are in our body that make us breathe, and you can't hold your breath for very long because you have to breathe, and we can talk about all of that. We can talk about the biology of breathing, but at the end of the day, the next breath you take is a gift from God. So God is so in control of the world that we can say that he's present in every action and activity in our natural world. Do you know, a couple of weeks ago, I, spoke, I shared with Bruce. Bruce was speaking, was it last week? I don't know. When he was talking about the birds of the air and the offering song. I don't know if you remember offering, offering, offering sermon. Remember that? It wasn't a song. He didn't sing it, but maybe that's an idea for next time. In the offering sermon, the birds of the air, God feeds them. Remember that? God feeds them. And yet, you know, when we look at the natural world, they kind of look like they feed themselves. But God feeds them. So the natural world which operates in this ecosystem according to the natural laws of biology and so on, and don't forget they they don't all get fed, some die, and Jesus isn't contradicting it because he goes on to contradicting himself because he goes on to say, not one of them falls without my father. So he is so present 
and involved in his creation, that he draws so close he's never far away. Yes, he is the great exalted God that inhabits eternity, lives way outside of his creation, but he's also the God who presents himself in it. In him we live and move and have our being. So of course, the God who made it is the God who can step in and do whatever he wants. But don't forget, it is, it's not an open universe with gods and demons and devils and angels come and go as they please, willy-nilly, confusing everything. No, no, no. We can be sure that natural laws operate. But it is not closed. This universe is not closed. If we believe that God created it, that's the big job. The small job is to fix some stuff that's going on. However, some stuff that's going wrong. However, we've got to know this. God is always a God of purpose. One of the things that surprises me is how Jesus didn't show off his miraculous power. He didn't use it for his own advantage. And even one of the most astonishing miracles of all, one that you would say, what's the point of it? Isn't Jesus showing off here when he walked on the water, that miracle we talked about? And you say, well, why, why, why didn't he walk around? Did he always walk on the water, especially when nobody was looking? No, no. Jesus submitted himself to the natural course of things in so many different ways. So whenever he stepped in to the, the creation with a miracle, there was always a purpose. And when there is an extraordinary, unusual miracle, there is a very strong purpose. And just for the record, the purpose at that time as we study it was Jesus was seeking to get his disciples to understand something. To understand that their job was to carry on his works after he had gone and was no longer physically present but spiritually present by his Holy Spirit. And that was the main idea behind the feeding of the 5,000 I'm not going to take you to all these passages I'm referring to. I'm pretty sure you're familiar with them. You remember how that, that miracle of the feeding of the 5,000 happened. Do you remember? It did not happen in the hands of Jesus. It happened in the mouth of Jesus when he said, you give them something to eat. Uh, when he said that, a power was released and they were empowered so that when they by faith broke that bread and passed it out, it multiplied in their hands. You give them something to eat. Yet the Bible says, when they were in the boat, they had not understood about the loaves. What was Jesus saying there? Just listen, hey, I've got a party trick. I, I'm going to multiply some bread and fish. So you can all say, praise God, he's the Messiah. No, 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 no. He was saying, I want you to know something. I'm involving you in my miraculous purposes. Don't you know what this is what it's all about? I am training you. I'm discipling you so I can send you out to preach and with you out with authority that you can cast out demons, that you can lay hands on the sick and you can demonstrate the works of the kingdom and every miracle before the resurrection and after the resurrection says the same thing. God is in control, the new creation's coming, and Jesus is Lord. Because they're done in the name of Jesus, not done in our name. They'd not understood about the loaves. So Jesus says, right, I'm going to have to now help them understand. And so he does his walking on the water thing. And they watch him in the boat. 
And so supernatural is this, so miraculous is this, that they have to resort to all kinds of superstitious stories to explain it. It's a ghost. I don't think that these men were gullible fishermen. They were canny men. And they knew what the laws of nature were all about. They may not have defined it in the way that we can with all of our scientific knowledge, but they knew the fundamentals. They knew they needed a boat to go on the water. They were men who knew the elements. They were men who knew natural law because they were men of the world. But when they see Jesus walking on the water and Peter recognizes him, good old Peter has figured a lot today. And so Peter says, if it is you, bid me come to you on the water. And Jesus says, okay, come. You've heard many sermons that Jesus, uh, that Peter never walked on the water. He walked on Jesus' word, C-O-M-E, come. Now, what's going on inside Peter? <clears throat> I like Peter. What's going on inside him? Now, he, he's, he is not one of your super spiritual characters. When he sees this miracle, he doesn't say, Oh, yea, Lordeth, what do, do, doest thou meaneth now? He looked at it and said, Whoa, that looks really cool. Can I have a go? Do you think I'm stretching a point? Or do you think there's an element in which this looked crazy, this looked fun? And, and he instinctively wanted to do what Jesus did. Now, according to some modern-day theologians, this is what Jesus should have said. Peter, stay in the boat. I am Messiah. You are fisherman. Stay there. <laughs> but Jesus said they had not understood about the loaves. I want them to understand something because I'm going to put into their hands the miracle-working power that my Father gave me. And as, as the Father sent me, so I send you. Go in my name and do the very works that I do. So Peter has a go, and it actually says he walked on the water until he took his eyes off Jesus. Now that's another sermon, and you've heard it many times, and he begin, began to sink, and Jesus lifted him up. Now we begin to get the message. He that believes in me will do also the same works that I do, and even greater in quantity than these because of the new era of the Holy Spirit. So whenever we talk about the presence of the Holy Spirit in our lives, draw on every understanding of Scripture that the presence of the Spirit in our lives is God's glorious new covenant privilege and it is above all things about knowing God and moving in holy intimacy. In the earlier days, I don't know, I can't remember if it's still reflected in this book, in the earlier days I'd put it like this. You've got God's presence, God's power, and God's purity. That's what the work of the Holy Spirit is. But most important of all is God's presence in us. And out of the presence of the Spirit flows both the power of God to do the works that Jesus gives us to do and the authority to walk in holiness. He is the Holy Spirit. So we can talk about the new covenant privilege. We can talk about all of that 
and we can talk about the importance of the word and studying the word and preaching and proclaiming the word and never put that in competition with the work of the Holy Spirit because the two are one. But remember, high on the agenda of God's kingdom program is to use his people to continue the miraculous works that Jesus began. And we are being his disciples when we do. So that brings us back to, well, okay, how? How? And how does this work? And are, are, are there some pointers that the Bible gives to us? And I think there are many. There are a number of principles which govern the miraculous manifestation of God through our lives. Most important of all is surrender to the Holy Spirit's initiative. There's no formula, there's no pattern, there's no program, as it were, that you follow, but you follow the person of the Holy Spirit. Now that presupposes, we'll spend a bit more time on this in a moment, presupposes us knowing the Holy Spirit, learning to recognize his voice and how he works and operates. But remember, there, is, there are no techniques. If there were techniques which could control this, God would not be God. That's actually much more to do with the occult. All kinds of technologies by which it appears people can manipulate spirits to their own ends and purposes. However, the truth of that, take the lid off it, they are being manipulated. And we must have greater confidence in God's power to use us than the devil's power to deceive us. However, we must learn how to discern. And one of the ways of discerning is if somebody says, I got this all sewn up. You say these prayers, you do this, you buy this olive oil, you drink that, you do this, you do the other, you pay enough money in the offering. I've been heard of places where the preacher stands up and says, you got to get your legs healed. Five dollars, one leg. Ten dollars, two legs. A hundred dollars, the whole of you. Any sickness you ever have. That's witchcraft. That's witchcraft. And I would rather look like a silly person saying God heals and nothing happens than for me to have to try and manipulate things to make it look as if they're happening. And the moment we do that, we touch on the Simon Magus spirit who tries to think that by money we can buy the power of the Holy Spirit. No, no, there, there are no uh, metaphysical laws to which God is subject. And there is not, neither is there an entitlement that belongs to us that we can command God to do anything. God is God. And one thing we know, and I've learned this, sometimes the hard way, that it is, if, it's, if, it's, if it's not God, it doesn't happen. If God is not doing it, we cannot. But if God is doing it, ay, 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 ay. That's a different question. And there's nothing so exciting as finding that when you speak under the authority of God as led by the Holy Spirit and blind eyes open and tremendous miracles. Now, I, I, I could stay here and just tell loads and loads of Holy Ghost stories and miracle stories. And I, I'm sure that that's an encouragement to you. But, you know, you weren't there. And we're here. This is Notting Hill. It isn't some 
oil drumming, Kenya, and, and all this kind of stuff. But there's so many, I, I, I just want to say, tell you, this stuff works. And actually, my story of how I discovered this stuff for myself is here in this book. It's a great testimony as well as a lot of teaching. Okay, so one of the things is we cannot demand God to do anything. One thing I've learned about signs and wonders and miraculous gifts of the Holy Spirit is God does them when he wills it. And all we can do is follow. And even those times when it appears that we are out front and a little bit ahead of the Spirit, it's, it's not really what's happening. Even those circumstances have been so ordained and so controlled by God that it, 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 it's amazing. And I want to warn you against any of the simplistic theology that goes round that with the right kind of faith formula, with the right kind of words, with the right kind of techniques, you can sew this thing up. Every single person that I know that God has used miraculously and powerfully in signs and wonders and miracles always comes back to this point and they say, I don't understand. God, let him be God. And all we can do is follow. And it is always according to purpose. It's sometimes showy expressions of the supernatural are very, very clearly not of God. Let me give you an idea. Now, whether this is a trick or whether this, this kind of power actually exists, don't forget, I come from Africa and I know this stuff happens, okay? But for the rest of you, you might say, we don't know how real it is. But let's suppose that there was somebody here moving in occult power and was able to name the exact serial number on the 10 pound note that is in your pocket and should have gone into the offering. <laughs> now, there are tricks where so-called stage magi ma magicians do that kind of stuff, but I'm talking about the real counterfeit occult power. Yeah. Now, frankly, I'm not at all impressed that somebody's able to do that. So we, we know the devil's active, okay? So we know the devil has a certain amount of supernatural influence and that's a whole other story. See, a sign is not just about something which is extraordinary and mystifying. People say, oh, how amazing. It's not just that. A sign has a purpose. Jesus said very clearly, the whole reason why I have come manifesting the Father and surrendering to the Father so that I did not put one foot in front of the other without the Father. Because I wanted you not just to see me, I wanted you to see my Father. This is all about the Father making himself manifest and visible so much so that if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. What Jesus meant by that, you want to know what God is like? I'm showing you what God is like. Listen to the things that I've said. Those are the Father's words. I'm a messenger from the Father. I've come to reveal the Father to you. And by the way, nobody else was as fully qualified as Jesus the Son to reveal the heart of the Father. So it's not left us guessing what is God like. Look at Jesus. That's exactly what God is like. 
And so even the miracles that Jesus did, they were there to show the heart of the Father, the great loving heart of the Father who stretched out his hand when people said, if you're willing, and he said, of course I'm willing, be healed, be clean. And touching, he was moved with compassion when he saw the multitudes. This was a Father's heart of compassion beating in heaven and the hands and feet of Jesus moving on the earth. Jesus was one with the Father and demonstrating the Father in everything he did. The whole purpose of this, I have not come to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me so that when you see me, you can say, I've met the Father. And Jesus could say, no one comes to the Father but by me. Manifesting, revealing the Father. Also, manifesting the kingdom. And I think it's very important that we place miracles in the context of the coming kingdom of God. What do miracles mean? They point beyond themselves. They point to the new creation. Every miracle that Jesus did which impacted the physical world. Now, I'm just going to use the word miracle, limited in, 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 that, in that way, so it actually impacts physically. There are many things that, perhaps wrongly, we call miracles, answers to prayer, and, uh, and there is no physical or scientific evidence that anything has really changed, but we know that God has answered prayer. And to me, that's, just, that's, that's, that's a miracle by another name. But I'm talking about when, when, when Jesus opened blind eyes, when, when miracles happen, the dead are raised and limbs grow out and amazing miracles happen. Just the second time's come back to me. I was saying earlier how that when we were in Kenya and we saw years ago lepers healed. It's wonderful to see leprosy healed. Uh, leprosy is not a disease which in and of itself deforms. What happens is the nerve endings die and the people lose sensation and therefore, by knocking the hand or burning the hand, they get deformed. And to, to, to see lepers healed and people getting feelings and sensation back in their hands and the miracles, that's something that is happening and it's real. So, whenever we see anything that impacts the physical world, the physical realm in any way, small or big, it's a sign. And Jesus is saying, the kingdom is here. These are the signs of the kingdom pointing towards a manifestation of the kingdom which is to come in which the new heavens and the new earth will come. They are signs pointing to the new creation. And they are tiny signs and samples of new creation power. None of them is the entire new creation. So we don't expect miracles and signs somehow to give us the whole package. They are little pointers. And even the greatest of miracles, even Lazarus being raised again from the dead, was nothing more than a sign to the fact that Jesus, when he said, I am the resurrection and the life, just as Lazarus has been raised brought back to his former state of existence. So the time is coming when the whole of all of my people will be raised to eternal life, never to die again. And Jesus was the first fruits and the example of that. He was pointing to something far greater than even this most extraordinary of signs and wonders and miracles. I have never 
witness personally somebody being raised from the dead. But I have met and got to know somebody who was raised from the dead. And that's another story. And uh, with the Mama Teresa Warimu, our great friend in, in, in gospel, faith gospel ministries, faith evangelistic ministries in, in Kenya, she knows about raising from the dead. And I love to get her to talk about it, just sitting and talking and say, Mama, you've got to say Mama, you see, because, you know, it's Daddy if it's, a, if, it's, if it's the guy and Mama. Okay, Mama, yes, tell me. Tell me, Mama, what is it like to raise the dead? Oh, go, go, go. No, no, tell me. So when you press her, she puts a knife and fork down and says, Ah, for this, you've got to have a word from God. <laughs> and that's an understatement, isn't it? And so these, th- these things happen. But even one of the most remarkable miracles of all would be somebody, or is the miracle of people being brought back to life, not just being resuscitated, but people who were clinically dead, brought back to life in the name of Jesus. Even that points beyond itself to the one who is the Lord of resurrection and points to the day when you and I will be raised from the dead. And if he comes, when we are alive, we'll get it anyway, we'll be changed. In an instant, in a twinkling of an eye. Hallelujah. Amen and amen. So those are some principles. And we also think about the the power. Because there is a power. Now be careful when we talk about power. Because we can, if we're not careful, depersonalize the Holy Spirit. But the Holy Spirit is powerful. And the powerful influences of the Holy Spirit are astonishing. Even in the limited experience that we've had and our teams have had in this country and abroad, we we have seen things that beggar the mind, boggle the mind, beggar description. Amazing, powerful things taking place with extraordinary visible results. Okay, let's just tell you another miracle story. We're preaching in Brazil. And uh, in those days of the Brazilian revival, Millions of people coming to Christ, not, as it were, just through one ministry, but right across Brazil. The wave of signs and wonders and miracles swept through the nation. And every person that was sincerely seeking God got it. And uh, there was a, a wave of teeth miracles. I mean, dental miracles. In fact, I was so convinced by this that I brought my dentist with me. So the dentist, have a look at it, Sukman, she's a Christian. And she was able to analyze some of these dental miracles. And here's one which I shall never, never, never forget. Never. (laughs) A woman from a very poor part of the town in one of the slums, one of the favelas communities, was listening to the preaching from the radio. And there was this English, British preacher yelling and screaming and talking about God and talking about miracles. And God touched her mouth. And she came in from the radio, by, she got there by the end of the third service, to testify. And so I said, what has happened to you? Nantendi. Oh, what has happened to you? Okay, so she opened her mouth. 
when she opened her mouth, I could see what had happened. I cannot explain it. Her teeth were new. So, well, you're not a dentist. Oh, come on now. When I look in my mouth, I see teeth that are not new. <laughs> so, new teeth are the opposite of my teeth. And, and, and you imagine, just think about this. Any dentists here? Any dental nurses? Okay, well, it's just logical. When, when, when you, you start cutting your teeth, you, you, your teeth come out pretty sharp, but, but then they, they get shaped by eating and, and, and wear down. And so even young people with healthy teeth, their teeth are new, but used. Get it? You get what I'm trying to say? Okay. This woman had teeth that were new and had never been used. Uh, the shape, the perfection of them. And, and, and the, they were completely unworn. I mean, they weren't like vampire teeth sticking out, but they were completely unworn. And, and I, could, I just, just one look in that woman's mouth, and I knew a miracle had happened. Yes, of course, they explained that. That's powerful. That's powerful. The power of the Holy Spirit. The power that flows from his presence. And this power operates through a sensitivity to the Holy Spirit's influences. Let's call this Holy Spirit fullness. Fullness of the Spirit. When the Spirit of God presences himself, it's almost as if along with his presence flows a tangible presence of power that is palpable I have to be careful here for each person's experience is different. How the Holy Spirit draws my attention to the fact he's working might be different from the way the Holy Spirit draws your attention to how he's working. But in one way or another, he manifests himself in such a way that he works in us and then through us, enabling us to do the mighty works that Jesus has called us to do. Wow, Jesus heals, but he did say, you heal the sick. In other words, I'm going to give you enablement. How does this work in practice? Again, very, very simple, narrowing it right down. Can we have the musicians back ready? Now, please, and I want our ministry team to be ready. Uh, At a moment when I call you, I want you to be running into position. How does this operate? I've, I've, I've one word for it, intimacy, intimacy. In other words, this kind of stuff we're talking about comes out of relationship. Remember, Jesus modeled this. He said, I am in the Father and the Father is in me. I believe me because of the works. In other words, nobody could do these works without that intimacy. And so the way to press in to this, and I encourage you to do it, encourage you to believe God, encourage you to step out, but not at the expense of intimacy, but as the result of intimacy. And in that moment of intimacy, as you are attentive to the voice of the Holy Spirit, it is astonishing the secrets he will share with you. And you never know what he might lead you to do as you discern the voice of the Spirit. Learning the ways of the Spirit. Get to know how he acts. Get to know 
the Holy Spirit. I remember we took a series, took a, a bunch of Bible college students away on one of the missions. And uh, anyway, it's a long story. It's in the book. It's a long story of how we got late to a place. Can you imagine an Englishman showing up late at an African meeting? You know how late we must have been. People were beginning to leave. Uh, it was a very rural part in the Rift Valley region of Kenya. And uh, the evangelist preached. He said, I don't want to pray for the sick. I'm disheartened. This is t- t- terrible. I mean, that's why I took an evangelist, you see. So I said, look, you preach the gospel. I pray for the sick. Oh, good, good. It's a good deal. All right. Okay, brother. Let's go for it. So he preached a short message. Good enough. And called people forward. And so I'm now to pray. <clears throat> now, I had just been lecturing our students. What you do not do is walk up and down and say, be healed in the name of Jesus. Be healed in the name of Jesus. That's so mechanical. There's nothing relational. You're not moving in revelation. Don't do it that way. I don't know what came over me. I jumped off the platform, slapped everybody on the head. <laughs> they were going to feel something anyway. Be healed, be healed, be healed in the name of Jesus. And then dismissed people. I wish I'd spend time with people. Because apparently, a woman had a goiter as big as this. I didn't even notice. And as soon as I touched her, be healed in the name of Jesus. Now, when I say I touched her, it's irrelevant who touched her. Because Jesus touched her. You, you get me? You get me? Can you say amen? amen. Again? Amen. Okay, I feel better now. And the next day we got there early, and can you imagine a bunch of British preachers arriving at an African meeting early and still being late because crowds were there? What had happened? Everybody knew this woman. The goiter had disappeared. And, and everybody came back, and there were, just, just read the book, and I'll tell you some other time because our time is gone. Our time is gone. And it's not about telling stories that happened somewhere else another time. We're interested in what God wants to do in our lives right now. So it's not a technique. It's a relationship with the Holy Spirit.